God bless you, church, and it's so good to see you in God's house this morning. We have just come through a very full month. Yesterday was our EXO marriage conference, and it was such a blessing uh, to so many couples. And you know what? We had last week was graduation Sunday. It was Memorial Day weekend. We've had Mother's Day. We've had all sorts of things going on. You know what today is? Today is the Lord's Day. Today is the day that God has made. I will rejoice. Will anybody rejoice with me? You're glad to be in God's house today. Amen. We're so glad you're here with us in person, but we're also glad for those that are tuning in online. we got a lot that watch the live stream, and we want you to know we love you. Uh, we're praying for you, and you're just as much a part of the church family as those here in the building. Would you put your hands together and show your love to those that are tuning in with us online? We love y'all. God bless you. Thanks for being with us. And I'm just really excited about this summer's message series. Uh, this is going to be a little bit lengthy. It's actually going to be a nine-part series that we're going to walk through the Beatitudes, because there are different seasons in the year, both naturally and spiritually speaking. There are certain times of, uh, you know, growth, there's times of rest, and even with growth, there's different seasons of growth. And a lot of time in the church world, uh, that season, you know, the first of the year up through Easter is a really a time of numerical growth. And then, of course, during the summer, people travel, things of that nature. But I think it can be a great opportunity for spiritual growth because we're not just called to get numbers. We're called to make disciples. And God's been growing our church numerically, but I'm so pumped up to get to walk through this teaching. I will kind of forewarn you. It's a little bit heavy because how many of you know the world we live in is heavy? And I'm glad that God gave us instruction, no matter what's going on in the world, on how to allow God to be at work in our heart. And so uh, this series we're going to walk through is going to talk about the nine different Beatitudes. Some scholars only count eight, but you're going to see we're going to take a look at one of them kind of in two parts, which I believe it should be represented uh, in two different parts. This morning's message is entitled, Blessed Are the Poor in Spirit. And some people have asked me, they're like, Pastor, is it correct to say blessed or blessed? Well, I say blessed, uh, or I say blessed. I've heard other people say blessed, but those people are wrong. I'm just kidding. It doesn't really matter. There's no, no wrong. I, in fact, you'll hear me. I just did it. You'll hear me say them both. Uh, but we want to be blessed or blessed. Whatever it is, I want what God has for us. And this is found in the greatest sermon, I believe, ever preached because it was spoken by the greatest minister ever, Jesus Christ himself. In Matthew chapter 5, if you've never really studied these chapters, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is a collection of this message, which is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And this few verses that we're going to look at together about the Beatitudes is kind of the preamble, the introduction of that message. And there's so much good, so much of the gospel found in the Beatitudes. And I want you to notice that the enemy and kind of the world is trying to cause the church to lose focus on being like Christ. And they want us to be in crisis. They want us to be stressed instead of blessed. How many of you want to have the Beatitudes and not the bad attitudes? Come on, somebody. The Bible doesn't say to have the mad attitudes or the sad attitudes. Have the be attitudes. But it's really easy if you get on Facebook, if you get on Twitter, whatever, social media stuff. I've had to just take a step back from those because I need to want to pray for people, not punch people. Hallelujah. But sometimes it's hard to balance the two. And so Jesus gives great instruction in this scripture that is so profitable for where we're at in society and where you may find yourself as a follower of Jesus. If you look with me at Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, it says, 
Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up and sat on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, and here's where we get into the Beatitudes, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're going to highlight that today. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. If you know someone, or maybe you are someone, who is heavy with grief in your life, next week's message is going to focus on this. Uh, Mourning is not wrong. But aren't you glad that the Bible says sorrow only lasts for the night, that joy comes in the morning? And we're going to look at what Jesus talks about, how we are comforted when we mourn. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And this is something I don't even think people understand what meekness really is. Uh, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I'm really looking forward to that week because we need some mercy in, in this world. And I, I hope you see here that you're going to have to give mercy to receive mercy. And that's something that I, I can only preach one message today, so let's get to that one. But it, it's just going to be so good. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And we need some peacemakers. I need you to know that peacemakers don't just talk about peace. They do something about peace. They make peace. And we're going to talk about that in a few weeks. Uh, Blessed are those. Here's where where you're going to see some people count these as as one. We're going to look at these as two separate uh, beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Saints, the Bible warns that there will be persecution for believers, and it actually says it's going to get worse before it gets better, before Jesus returns. So we need to see what Jesus said about this persecution and how we should respond to it. Here's the second half of that. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So if that's happening to you, you should feel blessed. Then it says rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Could I ask you to pray with me now for the word that God would allow it to fall upon good soil. Father, I thank you for these men and women of God gathered in this place in your name. We rebuke every distraction and discouraging spirit in the name of Jesus. And I just pray you would open our hearts to receive what you want us to receive. That we would live it out in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. That is my prayer. That we would... Make room. The enemy wants to crowd your mind and your heart with worry, with troubles, with just the weight of the world and make you feel so overwhelmed with things that you can't fit the blessings of God or you just think that there's no room for it in your heart or in your life. Look, Jesus lived his life in a powerful way and he never intended us to just look at his life and admire it from a distance. He lived his life as an example that we should follow. Any followers of Jesus in the place today? That, that's the example that Jesus gave. He said, you know, and the Apostle Paul even wrote, follow me as I follow Christ. So as we do these things, we want to ask God, how is it that you want us to live with this life that you have blessed us with? And the Beatitudes reveal some things. If you'll write this down, the first blanks in your notes, these statements, first of all, reveal where true happiness can be found. And notice it doesn't just say happiness, it says true happiness. And actually, this is what real blessing looks like. It's not cheesy. It's not shallow. It's powerful and it's beautiful. And it can only come from God. Real blessing. And in fact, we don't have a perfect 
English word for the Greek word that means blessing. Just like we only have you know, so many ways that we can say we love something, there are many Greek words for the word love, but we've only got one. And there's a Greek word for blessed. Every time you see in the Beatitudes, I hope you'll remember this word, it's makarios, and it means an internal joy that circumstances cannot change. That's what it means to be blessed. It's not just a surface happy feeling. It's an internal joy that circumstances cannot change. Your situation does not change the blessing that God has for you. It's different from happiness. And I know we had that word true happiness, but when it talks about happy, the very first part of that word happy shows what it means. It's the same part of our English word happens. Happiness is based on what has happened to you. You know, like, it's your birthday, so you're happy. Somebody gives you a gift or a bag of money, you're happy. Your football team wins a bunch of games. I don't know what that feels like, but I guess that would make you happy. (laughs) Any Cowboys fans praying in the altars with me? It is what it is. But this talks about true happiness that's not dictated by the world. And it's not dependent on what's happened to you, but it depends on what Jesus has done for you. These statements reveal where true happiness, and they also reveal something else. These statements reveal, uh, they show the potential that can be ours. They show what we actually have access to through Jesus Christ. And too many Christians think that following Jesus is all about going to heaven, but I say it all the time, you still got to go back to your everyday lives. And we're supposed to live for Jesus, not just long for heaven. There's nothing wrong with wanting to go to heaven, but we've got a work to do before we get there, and we should want to do what God has called us to do with this life, in this life. And there's potential that many people don't realize. Jesus didn't just come to save you from your sins, I mean, too many Christians, they're going to heaven, but they don't know how to go further into what God has done for them. Look, God wants you to go to heaven, but he also wants to help you with your marriage. He also wants to help you raise your kids. He wants to help you deal with the stress of your job or your career or give you the boldness to witness to people, to make a difference in the world around you. There's so much potential in the Christian walk, and that's the full gospel, is that, yes, we have eternal life, but aren't you glad Jesus said he came that we might have life, talking about today, and have it more abundant. That's just what Jesus said. That's not just a feel-good message. But before we can get to the good part, let's address the heaviness of this first beatitude. I'm not going to say it's the most important beatitude, but I do believe if you don't understand this one, the other ones won't make any sense in your life. And that is the one that says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus said it in Matthew 5.3. We just read it. Let's just highlight that scripture. Matthew 5.3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There are things that you are to receive in eternity that you have to recognize some things on earth to really receive them. And when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, again, this is another one of those examples that we don't have an exact English word. The translators did a good job. Poor is not a bad word there, but it means a little bit more in depth than that. In fact, there's two ways that... Uh, the word poor could be expressed in the Greek. Again, whereas we have one word for love, I hope you don't mean the same thing when you say you love your wife as when you say you love pizza. Those should have two different meanings. 
And the word poor has two different meanings. It means poor as in not having enough. And that's the way most of our American minds think, is if you're poor, you just don't have enough. But this is actually the word poor that means destitute, which means you don't have anything. In fact, it goes even further in that meaning. It means not only do you not have anything, you don't have the ability to get anything. You're completely helpless, completely hopeless. That's what being poor in spirit means. It's like, why would God want us to be poor in spirit? Let me say it another way. I heard a minister say it this way, and it made so much sense to my mind, and I hope it brings understanding to you as well. Uh, These are the next blanks to fill in. Blessed is the person who realizes they are completely destitute, utterly helpless. Aren't you glad you came to church to hear this uplifting message? Here's what that's supposed to do, though, is make us realize their absolute need for God. Because when you bow low, you'll realize the one who you should be bowing your life to and how much that we need God's help. Look, this is tough. And I'm praying the Holy Spirit will help us these next just 15, 20 minutes as we look at the Word of God that it would speak to you. Because it is hard. I'm going to confess to you. It's hard for me as someone who's been raised in the greatest country in the world. Look, I know America's not perfect. But no country is, and most of them are way worse than ours. In fact, I believe this is the best nation in the world. If it weren't, why are so many people trying to get here? But we've been so blessed that we sometimes have a tough time realizing how blessed we are, but how poor we are, spiritually speaking. Because you can be blessed financially and with material items and still be destitute spiritually. And again, to show you how blessed you are, I would say everybody in this room, I mean, unless, you know, it's just an extreme case, they say the poverty line in the United States is wealthier than 99% of the rest of the world. In other words, you on your worst day, 99% of the world would trade places with you in a heartbeat on your worst day. And if you've never been uh, in the mission field or gone on a mission trip, Let's be real. A lot of times people think we go on mission trips to like help the missionaries that are there. Honestly, Americans are usually in the way because we're, we're kind of weak compared to what they go through. But it's, it's honestly a blessing to you if you go to another part of the world. I've been to a few places that are third world countries and literally it's like nothing that you can understand. We don't really have places like that in the United States. And what's weird is the Christians there are usually happier than the Christians here. Because they understand what it means to be poor in spirit. We are taught, you know, be independent, pull yourselves up by your bootstraps, just work hard. You do know there's no works we can do to deserve salvation. And that's what being poor in spirit is really all about. And here's the thing, we have to learn to depend on God. But here's the truth, if you'll write this down, we will never depend on something we don't think we need. Have you ever had a time in life where... You thought you looked better than you actually looked. I found some photos of myself. Let's just say I'm glad social media didn't exist in the magical time called the 90s. That was when I was in elementary school or more specifically middle school. Oh, middle school. Some people have a few awkward years. I had an awkward decade, ladies and gentlemen. 
And in my desire to fit in, I just, before I met my wife, she basically dresses me now because I can't be left to my own devices. <laughs> but I got into this trend. I loved to, to rollerblade and skateboard. I thought that was cool. I wasn't good at football, so I had to get good at something else. And there was a pant style. Anybody ever heard of the, oh, they already said it. <laughs> if you're watching online, they already said it, Jinkos. That's Hebrew for hooligan, is what that is. Uh, but they were, y'all, I'm much, I'm much bulkier now than I was then. And if you know Jinkos, they're about 10 feet wide. They're like bell bottoms on steroids, okay? They flared out. If you turned me sideways, literally one of the photos, I'm standing sideways. Why my parents let me go out in public like this? I'm standing sideways, and you know those old handbells that you hold here and you just ring them? I look like one of those. I didn't look like Taco Bell, I look like Paco Bell, you know what I'm saying? It's crazy, but I was so proud of those, and I spent a lot of money on those. They were not cheap, but man, they looked cheap. And we won't depend on something that we don't think we need, and so many people, we think we're doing so good. And we don't know how much we really need the Lord until crisis hits or tragedy hits. Something that is sad is that the highest church attendance occurred in our nation the Sunday after September the 11th, 2001. When those planes hit the Twin Towers. Those of you that weren't born yet may not remember a lot about that. You've heard about it. But uh, those of you that were alive and old enough, I'm sure you remember exactly where you were. When you heard the news or watched it live, I watched the second plane hit because somebody had told us to turn it. It was actually the day that my family was moving from my hometown. My dad had gone on ahead of us and we were still in Paris, my mom and I, loading up the final things into our vehicle. And dad called and said, stay there because we were driving to Weatherford through the Metroplex, through DFW. And he was concerned about the airport there. You know, they didn't know what was happening. It just everybody was so afraid of what, you know, this was a horrible thing that had happened. We didn't know exactly if it was going to happen other places. And out of that fear, our nation actually banded together. I'll tell you what, Democrats and Republicans have not been as nice to one another for the last 20 years after that, that attack. I hate that that attack happened. I'm heartbroken for the lives that were taken. But man, let us please learn what that looks like to be unified against what real evil is instead of fighting against ourselves like we're doing before we have to face because you know what God will get our attention one way or another and it's not his fault if we ignore him until tragedy strikes you watch it with the nation of Israel they got comfortable and then they would wander off from God and he would have to allow something to happen to get their attention again we won't depend on God if we don't think we need him and I'm telling you church there's a lot of Christians I'm not pointing any fingers because I've fallen into this but I'm trying to warn you if you try to do things on your own and you say no I know better than what the Bible says I can just make my own rules my own plan you'll get yourself in your own way and we need to follow the way of the cross the way of Christ, not our own opinions. Jesus warned of this in the book of Revelation. If you know much about that book, it's the only book of prophecy in the New Testament. There are other scriptures that are prophetic in the New Testament, but this whole book was the, the vision that John the Revelator was given. The same John who wrote the Gospel of John in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John uh, was on the Isle of Patmos. He was imprisoned, and God revealed to him these things about really the day and age that we're living in. In fact, the book Revelation is 
translated to like our word for apocalypse. He was revealing, God was revealing to him about the end times. And Jesus appeared to him in the first three books. Jesus is with him and actually walked him through some things. And in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, I don't have time to read all of it, but I challenge you to read those two chapters this week as a refresher. There are letters written to the modern day church, honestly. They were prophetic about what the church would be going through in this age that we're living in. Seven letters written to seven different churches. And in Revelation chapter 3, it's a church that could be very, it's very familiar to the American church. It was written to Laodicea. And Jesus was speaking here. And he said in Revelation 3.15, I know your deeds. So God knows that we're doing good. But how many of you know serving God is about more than doing good? He says, I know your deeds. And he also knew this, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. This is what God's saying. And here's the part that should concern us. You say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. That's a dangerous place to be. Because then Jesus says, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Boy, I wish Jesus would tell us what he really feels. It's pretty straightforward and pretty clear about when we think that we've done something, we think we've succeeded by our own strength, by our own efforts, this is really what we look like to God. Being poor in spirit is really the only way to recognize what God actually provides for us. I want to talk about that for the rest of this message, what God provides for us. Because until you realize how little you're bringing to the table, you may not appreciate how much God does for you on the daily. And we'll take those things for granted that God is doing for us. And how many of you know what is taken for granted can be taken from you? Because you won't cherish it. You won't protect it. You won't defend it and appreciate it the way that you should. The first thing that God has provided for us, the most important, if you'll write this down, number one, is that without Jesus, I pay for my own sins. And that's not something you want to pay for. Listen to Romans 3.23. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, so nobody is good. You shouldn't look at another person and be like, Well, wow, at least I'm not doing as bad as they are. Because you know what? Somebody's looking at you going, Wow, at least I'm not doing as bad as they are. We've all sinned. We have all. And don't water it down. Don't, don't try to twist it to make yourself. We didn't just make a mistake. No, we knowingly sinned against a righteous and holy God, and we deserve his judgment. We deserve the punishment that should come to us. And here's what the Bible says that is in Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. So if you've ever sinned one time, you don't get to pick your favorite one and say that that gets death. The worst one that you're blaming somebody else for. If you've ever told a single lie, the Bible says all liars have their place in the lake of fire. The wages, the payment of sin is death, but the gift of God that we could never pay for, is eternal life only in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible says it this way. There's an old song that says it, that Jesus paid a debt he did not owe, and we owed a debt we could not pay. Aren't you glad that Jesus did that in his precious blood is the only thing that can wipe away the sin that causes us to have to pay for it? I'm so thankful for the price that he paid. So because of Jesus, if you'll write this down, number two, because of Jesus, I have the free gift of salvation, forgiveness, and eternal life. And I need somebody to hear this because I think it will be freeing to you in your walk with God is that 
You don't have to earn forgiveness. Do you know the Bible says you are already forgiven before you're saved? While you were yet sinners, Jesus went to the cross for you to pay for your sins. They've already been paid for, and God has already said you're forgiven. And some of us, maybe because of judgmental people, think that's how God judges us, that he holds our past against us. No, he says not only does he not hold it against us, he gets it away from us as far as the east is from the west, and he chooses to remember it no more. You've been forgiven and given the gift of eternal life. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. See, a lot of people think they're just doing their own thing. You're serving somebody, either the ruler of the kingdom of God or the ruler of this world, which this is a title for Satan, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The prince of the air is how some translations speak of him. And then it says, the spirit, notice it's lowercase. This is not God's spirit. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So if you're disobedient, you're not just, well, I'm just, you know, sowing my wild oats. I'm just being the way I am. No, you're following the the wrong spirit. Those that are disobedient to God, you're following the ways of the spirit who is now at work. This is talking about the spirit of antichrist. So, so many people say, well, that's just my nature. That's just my family. That's just how I was raised. And the Bible says that's how you used to be. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That's how we used to be. But look what the next scripture says. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So grace is not permission to keep on sinning. Grace is God's gift to us to give us the strength to live a new life, to be alive in Jesus. The old man is dead, the Bible says. The new has come. And that's the life that we should live. If you're being disobedient, you're following the wrong spirit. And you will be a follower of something. Either the Holy Spirit or an unholy spirit. And I pray that God would help us examine our own hearts. It's not about comparing ourselves with others, but comparing ourselves with the Word of God, which the Bible testifies. It's like a schoolmaster. It'll teach you areas that you need to improve in. Don't worry about anybody else. They're not going to be able to get you into heaven or keep you out of heaven. Worry about what Jesus knows about you and whether or not you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Have you received His amazing grace? And his salvation. Number three, here's what happens without Jesus. And this happens to believers. Without Jesus, I can only cope through my pain and my personhood. This is not a term that we say a lot, personhood. But scripturally speaking, this is talking about how you identify yourself. And a lot of people, even though they're saved, you've pl- look, you don't do anything to earn God's grace. It was all what Jesus did on the cross. It's not by works so nobody can boast. It's by faith in Christ alone. But after you get saved, you should want to continue living for God and learning to grow more and more like Jesus every day. So you need to stop identifying with your old self. And you need to stop making excuses for why you're still identifying and living like that old self. 
See, with, without Jesus, when we think we're doing it on our own, we can just cope with our pain. This is where people get trapped in addiction. This is where people get trapped in bad habits. Old habits die hard, they say. That's because you've got to crucify your flesh. And the Bible says daily. It's like a zombie. That bad boy needs to be shot in the head every time. Comes back. You'll just cope with your pain and your personhood. That means you'll make those excuses. Well... My dad was hot-tempered. My granddad was hot-tempered. We've just always been kind of feisty people. You know, we'll say it cute. You know, like throwing a tantrum is cute. Or chewing somebody out is funny. You know, that's just how we are. Uh, my family used to joke around and say, we just got that Scottish blood, you know, which basically meant we'll shank you. You know, it's just like we can't make excuses. Church... I am thankful for my heritage on this earth, but ultimately my bloodline is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So you should not identify with anything from your past. You should be concerned about your future, where you're going and who you're bringing with you. And once you can do that, you'll start to find freedom from the, those addictions, those pain. You won't identify that with any, more, with any of that anymore. Jeremiah 6.14 talks about what the world has to offer to get us through these struggles we go through. It says, they offer superficial treatments for my people's mortal wound, saying it's going to kill you. They're just going to make you feel better for a little while, but you're still going to die. They give assurances of peace when there is no peace. We need what the scriptures call peace that passes understanding, where nobody had to explain it to you. You just believe by faith because of what God's word says to you. Galatians chapter, or I'm sorry, number four tells us what we can have through Jesus. Because of Jesus, I have the power to be healed and transformed. And everybody thinks Jesus is just this like really nice guy and like real soft-spoken. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed. Jesus is the strongest being who's ever lived. It was because of his strength that he could go to the cross for us and say, I don't care what everybody's saying about me. I don't even care what they're doing about me. I'm going to have the strength to follow through with what God has called me to do. And you can have the strength by the power of Jesus Christ to find healing and transformation in your life that you need. Does anybody believe that Jesus still has the power to heal and transform? Well, if we believe that, let's live it. Let's allow God to do that in our life. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 and 25 says, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. You could not have done that. And he did this so that we might die to sins. Not die for our sins, but die to our sins. And live for righteousness. Not just live for heaven, but live for righteousness sake here in this life. And by his wounds, it also says, you. And notice, a lot of times, I, I get fascinated with the original language, like the Greek and the Hebrew of Scripture. But I say this a lot. A lot of church people don't even need to worry about reading Greek or Hebrew. You just need to learn to read English. Because this is not talking about future tense. We will be healed. Some people are like, oh, we know when we get to heaven, we will be healed. Yeah, you know what? We need God's help here on earth. I need God's help when I go to Walmart. You know what I'm saying? And it says, by his wounds, you have been healed. He's already taken care of it. And so we can believe in Jesus and his power to heal and to transform. And then it says, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Your soul is different than your spirit. Your spirit man becomes new the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ. That's the part of you that's made new. 
has to do with eternity, it's amazing. But we need the help of the Holy Spirit, not so much for eternal things, but for earthly things. And we need the, the help of the good shepherd of Jesus to be the overseer of our soul. Your soul, different than your spirit, it's your mind and your emotions. Your intellect and your feelings is what your soul is. You're a three-part being, body, soul, and spirit. And this is where the enemy tries to attack believers, is in our soul, in our emotions, in our mind. Tries to get you confused, tries to get you feeling overwhelmed. And we are so blessed to have an overseer, a, one that watches over us, the shepherd. It's capital S. It's speaking of Jesus, the great shepherd. And he has the power to help change us and to keep us with his transforming power. This is what our goal should be, Galatians 5. Many of us know it. We've been quoting it since we were kids, but why aren't we living it? We should have the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Gentleness, church, is something that a lot of Christians don't understand. And self-control. And the Bible says, against such things, there is no law. That means these things, nobody can really make you do it. But you have to be willing to let the Holy Spirit help you do it. And with, with the fruit of the Spirit active in our life, we can start to really live the life God destined for us. But if we don't want God to help us, we'll do number five, which is without Jesus, we'll say, I'm trying to find or create my own life. And this is what's happening in our culture right now. And I need to, to make it very clear the church should not be changed by culture. The church should be changing culture. We should be. The Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, the body of Christ. That's you and me. It's not a building or denomination. It's people filled by the Holy Spirit, living for Jesus, living like Jesus, walking in the fruit of the Spirit. We should be transforming things. You don't like how schools are, are, are being... Uh, Organized, you don't like how the government's doing. Can I tell you, God's given us authority over any powers in this world. But if we try to do things on our own strength, we'll try to find or create our own little way in this world. We'll try to create our own life. Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us the truth. God says, for I know the plans I have for you. And that means God knows it, you don't. God knows the plans he has for you, declares the Lord. And look at what God's plans are. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And church, this is not some prosperity preaching. This is the word of God. In fact, this is the Old Testament. That's supposed to be the mean part. This is what God wants for us. The enemy doesn't want you to believe this. He wants you to think, well, you just need to survive till you get to heaven. No, we need to do what God has called us to do. And we need to be who God has called us to be. And God has not called us to be weak, just defeated warriors all the time. He says, you are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. So without Jesus, you'll, you'll try to do it on your own. But number six says, because of Jesus, I have the ability to know who I am and what my life is all about. And I get asked this question about every week by multiple people. What's the point of this life? They'll feel overwhelmed by things. And the Apostle Paul in Acts 17 was responding to this question to a culture that's kind of similar to our culture. He was actually, let me give you some context. He was in Athens, Greece, standing in front of a false god, an idol that made to a god. Because people in Greece, they got so philosophical. They were like, we know there's some great force out there. And listen to our culture. They're starting to say things like that because they can't explain God away. They just don't want to submit to Jesus. 
So they're trying to explain Jesus away. Do you ever notice culture doesn't really ever get mad at other religions like they do at Christians? There's a reason for that. It's that persecution that the Bible talks about. And we'll talk more about it in the upcoming weeks. But right here, Paul is talking to a culture anti-God, anti-Jesus, and he's standing in front of this, you know, I guess, altar to this God known as the unknown God. Because that's how a lot of people are. They're like, well, we're not exactly atheists. We just don't know if there is a God. And here's what his words were that God gave him. He said, from one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. He wanted them to know there is a God that you can know, and there's a God that knows you. It says, he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. That means that you, no matter what family you were born into, you are not a mistake. You were not an accident. We're not just some cosmic accident that... We went from goo to the zoo to me and you. You know what I'm saying? That doesn't even make sense. It doesn't make sense. But it says that he appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. It goes on to say that God did this for a reason. He did this so that we would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. You know, sometimes... We forget this next part, that it's in him we live and move and have our being. And as believers, we never want to forget this simple truth. It's, I used to sing this in children's church when I was a boy, in Sunday school. And we used to sing this in church. There was an old song that sang it. And it's just the truth of God's word. We're not doing this on our own efforts or our own power. It's only by the Spirit of God. Because of Jesus, we have this ability to know who we are. We don't serve some unknown God. We serve a God that knows the very hairs on our head. And he knows why we were created. And we can find our destiny in him. But if you don't know your purpose in life, you might fall into this next one. Number seven is that without Jesus, I'm living my life for joys that fade away. We'll do our best in life if we don't know why God has created us. But doing your best may not always lead you to the best things. It'll lead you to joys that can fade away. And that term, fade away, is, is important to me because about almost three years ago, I shared this in first service, and I'm going to try to get through it without being as emotional this time because it was a very emotional time in my life. And most people, really nobody but my wife got to see it up close, behind closed doors, and I would just break down. I've never battled depression in my life because honestly, I've been very blessed. I've had wonderful parents, a great family. I've been a part of good churches and, and you know, God protected me from so many things. And when the pandemic hit, I just, I don't know. It hit me really hard. At first, it just seemed so surreal. Y'all remember thinking, this will only last a couple of weeks and everything will go back to normal. I wasn't wasn't really coming to grips with how it was impacting me spiritually. And I believe that I, st I tried to start, I know what I did. I started trying to do things under my own strength. I started trying to figure things out with my own intellect. I wasn't letting God guard my heart and my emotions. I decided I, I just got to figure this out. I got to make things happen. We got to keep the church open. We got to do all this. I was working harder than I'd ever worked on my own and getting less done than ever before. And, and in that time, I don't know how else to say it, but a, a, just an evil spirit began to battle me. And I, I, it became clear how big of a spiritual attack I was under as time went by. And I began to question ministry. I questioned life. 
And what happens when you're going through those times is joys fade away. You've invested so much time and effort into things that don't really matter that when you start to realize they don't really matter, you start to wonder if your life even matters. And they have a term for it. I studied like clinical depression. It's very real and can affect Christians. But I do believe a lot of it's spiritual just as much as it can be medical. And there's a term that they use called anhedonia. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but that, that's the term. And it basically is when it says that things that used to bring you joy don't bring you any joy anymore. And I knew that was happening when I looked out at my babies. I was watching my kids play in the yard. Gosh, this gets me every time. Because that was my safe place, man, going and seeing those kids. And I would get grieved looking at my kids. I'd have crazy thoughts because I was like, I don't want my baby girl to be raised up in a world that's so full of perversion. I don't want my boys growing up in a world that's telling them this is what they need to be and what kind of what men really are. You know, all these lies. I was so frustrated. I was so sick and I was so scared that I couldn't protect them. Any, anybody relate to that at all? I just... And I didn't realize how much I had stopped depending on God. And I was worried that if I couldn't protect them, nobody would. And I'm so thankful that while without Jesus, joys fade away. But trusting in God, look at the word of God in 1 Peter 1. God's word helped bring healing to me, and I pray it will to you. It says, praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is what God has given us. And then it says that we're born into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This is the inheritance that we have that's kept in heaven for us. And I realized I didn't have to be the one providing for my kids. It don't matter how much I can leave them. The, the more important thing is that they have a God who will never leave them and never forsake them. They serve a God who's a friend that sticks closer than a brother or even a father. And that without Jesus, these things can fade away. But because of Jesus, if you'll write this down, number eight, I can have the joy of living a life that glorifies God and impacts others. I don't really have to worry about other people, what they're doing. I just have to worry about what has God. I concern myself with, with Lord, what do you want me to do for other people? Doesn't matter what they're doing, I'm going to do what God's called me to do. And I believe that I speak that over my family. I speak that over our church family. Here's what the Bible says. It says that in the end times, this world is going to get darker and it's going to get worse. But it also says that the body of Christ is going to get stronger and shine brighter. And there's going to be a revival like this world has never seen. And I choose to be part of that. I choose to say that's the destiny for my life. And I want as many people to be a part of that with me. Amen. This is what we have because of Jesus, what's provided for us. I can have the joy of living a life. Doesn't matter what, it's that internal joy that's not dependent on circumstances. We can glorify God and impact others. Last scripture I want to read, John 15, 8 says, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain. Don't let the enemy change you. Don't let culture change you. Remain in the love of Jesus. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And finally, Jesus said, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. You'll never have a complete life. Even as a Christian, even if you're going to heaven, God wants to help you go back to work tomorrow. God wants to help you get through what you've been going through. 
He's there with you and he wants to lead you. But you'll never be complete. You'll never have this complete joy until you can say this to Jesus. And it's only by God we can say it. Thanks to him, I say, Jesus, I need you. That's the last blank to fill in and that's the most important thing to fill in as a follower of Christ is learning to be poor in spirit, to realize how little we have to do with salvation, which is nothing, and how little we have without God, which is also nothing. So don't become prideful, but also don't become pitiful. Allow the reality that while we have nothing apart from Christ, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. That's just straight scripture in the Word of God. And I'm going to close this service with the way the Holy Spirit put it on my heart. And I want to do my best to be obedient to Him. Because I, as praying, this doesn't happen very often, but God really spoke to me. That there would be people here today, and I sense in my heart that you're in this place. You've started to not even like the person that you're becoming. Because of what stress is doing to you, what worry and anxiety are causing you to feel like. You may relate to what we talked about, about things that used to bring you joy. It's like it's, it's just fading. It's dying. And you need God's help. You need to be able to say, Jesus, I need you. Know that even that that you're going through is God's mercy extending to you to show you how much you need God before it's too late. Show how much you need to trust in Him so that He can change your heart. If you're in this place, you may be struggling with depression. You may be struggling with anxiety, whatever it is. You can be a believer and still struggle with those things. I believe that God made this promise, and I want to give this promise to you that he's here to set you free if you'll let him be Lord of your life. If that's you, you're in any of those spots where you're like, man, my joy is just fading. My strength is just waning, and I need a miracle from God. I need him to change me. I don't like who I'm turning into, and I want to be more like Jesus, not like what I'm turning out to be. If that's you, would you stand up just right where you're at boldly, and would you say with me, Jesus, Jesus, thank you, Lord, for these that are so brave. Thank you for your honesty. Others are standing. God bless you. Can somebody that's near them, can, can any, would you make sure everybody's got somebody just putting a hand on their shoulder, just letting them know somebody's praying with them? Just right where you're at. This is what God does for us. He doesn't even wait for you to come to Him. He'll come to you in the middle of your heartache and your mess. We still got some down here that need somebody to pray with them. Somebody come stand by this precious sister. Just lay a hand on the shoulder. Let them know that, that they're loved, that somebody's with them. And I want to pray right now, and I believe this is going to happen in the spirit realm. I believe right now in the name of Jesus that evil spirits are being cast away. It doesn't mean that they've been possessing you, but they've been trying to torment you. They've been lying to you. They've been trying to sneak in. They'll sometimes sneak in through grief. They'll sneak in through pain. They'll sneak in through crisis. And I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. And Jesus, we say it now. We need you. But you are all we need, and you have all that we need. So we receive by faith. God, we confess anytime we've doubted you. We, we admit that we've sinned against you in doubt and maybe not listened to you. But God, we ask you to forgive us of that and to fill us brand new with your spirit. By faith, God, we receive all that you have for us. I pray you would heal hurting hearts, that you would give people the sweetest, blessed rest, the peace that passes understanding, and joy unspeakable. We can't explain it. We just receive it by faith right now in the name of Jesus. And would you do this by faith? Would you open your mouth and would you say those words, Jesus, I need you. Say it out loud. Jesus.
Jesus, I need you. And I believe he hears you, he loves you, and he's there for you right now in the name of Jesus. Would everybody who believes that give Jesus praise right now in this place? Glory to you, God. Praise the Lord. And I promise you, this is what God told me to share. Man, you took a step of faith, and God will not disappoint you. He always meets you more than halfway. And I want you just to be a living testimony. Let people know of the faith you have in God. Let them know it's by nothing you did. We're poor in spirit. But man, aren't you glad when we are weak, He is strong. That's the God we serve. Amen, amen. Could I invite everybody else to to stand with me and with the prayer team come? I'm going to pray a prayer of dismissal. But if you need prayer for anything, Please don't leave this place. We stand ready to pray with you the prayer of faith. And as I pray, you won't interrupt me. If you need to come forward for prayer for yourself, for others, that's fine. We're here. That's what this is for. These altars are open for you to stand in agreement uh, just to believe by faith for God to be in your situation. Uh, let me pray for you. And I pray that God will just continue to grow that understanding of what it is to be poor in spirit, which is to say, I have nothing on my own, but I have all that I need through Jesus Christ the Lord. Father, I thank you for these precious people. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would just draw anybody that needs prayer, that they wouldn't feel scared or ashamed. They would just feel bold and loved and and that, that they can receive from you all that you have for them. And Lord, as you send us out from this place, thank you that we don't go from your presence. Wherever you go, use us to be salt and light, that this church, this world would not change us, but that the church, the body of Christ, would change this world for the kingdom's sake, with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ the Lord, and all who would believe that and receive that said, amen. Can I ask you to give God one more good praise as you're leaving? God bless you, saints. Go with God. These altars are open. We'll stay and pray as long as you need. You're dismissed. We hope to see you again real soon.